As an industrial water treater, you have to do so much. You have to know about so many things. Chemistry, physics, environmental, electrical, and the list goes on. But did you ever think that list should include cyber protection? Who's got time for that? Well, hackers have plenty of time to find your vulnerabilities and hold your valuable information hostage. 43% of all cyber attacks happen to small businesses. Small businesses are not prepared to defend against cyber attacks. The cyber threat protection experts at Reinert Consulting Group have been helping water treatment companies with strategies to protect their valuable data. Here's the thing about Reinert Consulting Group. They understand what water treatment companies need to defend against these attacks. From training to software, Reiner Consulting Group is your one-stop shop for protecting your valuable data. After all, where would you be without your data? Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash cyber to find out more. That's scalinguph2o.com forward slash cyber. Don't wait before it's too late. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And Nation, how did this happen? It is almost the end of April. It seems like we were just celebrating New Year's just a few days ago. You know, that's what happens. We're industrial water treaters. We've got so much going on. We have so much that happens to us in our day to day. It just makes the time fly. And that's definitely a good thing. That means that we're never bored. That means that we're never looking at the clock. It's just not enough time to do things. That's why if there is something that you need to accomplish, you need to hold yourself accountable to get that done. If we just think, I want to do whatever, and that whatever is going to magically get accomplished, folks, that's not going to happen in any profession, but it's certainly not going to happen in the profession that we have. And it's my hope that you follow along with us every year when we do goal planning and we figure out what we want to accomplish this year. And if you do that, we've already accomplished our first quarter goals. Hopefully, we're one third down of our second quarter goals. And we've got two quarters left in the year after we finish quarter two. So I hope you're keeping up with that. If you're not, it's not too late. I encourage you to figure out what you want to accomplish. If you don't, you're living life by default. And by default, you're always going to end up in a different destination than the one that is ideal for you. So where do you want to go? And then plan to get there. None of us plan to fail, and I know you've heard it before, but if we don't plan, that is definitely a plan for failure. So take a moment, write down what you want to accomplish, and then figure out how you're going to get there. If you don't, I don't think you're going to like where you end up. 
Nation, I always want to let you know about things going on in our industry so you can advance your knowledge in whatever practice of industrial water treatment that you are in. So here are a few items that are coming up that you can mark on your calendar. BOMA, the Building Owners and Managers Association, is having their medical office building and healthcare conference May 4th through 6th in Nashville, Tennessee. So many of us service these types of buildings. Might be a good idea if you learn a little more about that. Also, the Association of Water Technology is hosting another webinar, and this one's on crime control and best practices. That's going to be on May 12th. You can find out all that information, and anytime we mention anything on the podcast, you will find information on our show notes page. That's scalinguph2o.com, and you can navigate over to find more information in our show notes. Also, the SWAN conference. SWAN is Smart Water Networks Forum. They're having their conference in Washington, D.C., May 24th through 26th. And this theme, it's Connecting Innovation to Impact. So more information on that on our show notes page. And as always, we are going to have events that maybe pique your interest, maybe you've never heard of before. And that's the whole point. You can learn so much by events like these. I want to make sure that they are available to you. And I hope that you are making an effort to extend your network, to extend your knowledge so you are always getting better. Remember that tomorrow is the opportunity to take the lessons that we've learned today and make sure tomorrow is an improvement. You know, somebody that wants us to improve each and every week is our friend, James McDonald. And here is a brand new installment on Thinking on Water with James. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about the purpose of the brine seal in an RO system. What is an RO brine seal? What does it do? How does it work? How may it impact the direction membranes are loaded into the membrane housings? How can they fail? And what will happen if they do? What are the various brine seal designs? Take this week to think about reverse osmosis brine seals and the role they play. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. Nation, if you have heard this podcast before, you know I absolutely love being in this industry. And one of the things I love more than anything about this industry are the people that work in this industry. Because I've gone to some of the meetings that we mentioned earlier in the show, because I try to volunteer, because I try to give back, because of all the things I try to do to give to this industry that I so very much love, I have met some fantastic people, people that I consider some of my best friends today, people that I can call and I can ask questions to. And just because of the relationship, they are going to give me the answer. 
They're going to help me with issues that I have that maybe they've already experienced and they can tell me how to solve them so I don't have to suffer through all the things that they had to do to find a solution. These are all people that help me realize how great this industry is. And I'm going to be interviewing one of those people. My lab partner today is Jill Cavano of Scranton Associates. Jill, you and I kind of sort of knew each other before the mastermind, but I got to tell you, since the mastermind, I have truly enjoyed getting to know you. I'm excited to, I would say, introduce you to the Scaling Up Nation, but you've been on before, so maybe reintroduce you and just talk about all the things that are Jill. But before we do that, how the heck are you today? I'm good, Trace. How are you? I'm excited to be on the show. I'm excited to have you on the show, and and I'm doing very well. Anytime I get to do anything with this podcast, I just get so excited. So uh, thank you for asking that. I want the Scaling Up Nation to know who we're talking to. So if someone were to ask, like me, because I'm getting ready to ask it, who is Jill Cavano, what would you say? Well, I'm Jill Cavano or Cavano. Half of my family pronounces it Cavano. The other half pronounces it Cavano. Okay. Well, let's, let's set that straight because I think I've said both. What do you want to be called? And forever fourth in the water treatment industry, it shall be. Well, Bob was a Cavano and his brother, who is also his best friend, was a Cavano. So since we're on a Scaling Up Nation industrial water podcast, And uh, Bob's kind of one of the OGs of the industry. Let's just say Cavano. There it is. Henceforth, it shall be. I own Scranton Associates. We're a custom chemical blender. We're located in Strongsville, Ohio, right outside of Cleveland. I am the fourth generation. The company was started in 1919 by my great-grandfather. So it's a a definitely a multi-generational company. I'm currently the chair of the Business Resources Committee for AWT. We are busily planning the uh, 2022 business owners meeting in Vancouver the day before convention starts. Scranton Associates is a former AWT supplier of the year, and I'm also a founding member of the Young Professionals Task Force. Awesome. We're going to talk about all of those things, but the one I want to touch on first is fourth generation. So my dad was in water treatment, but he didn't own a water treatment company. So this is a company that I started. I wasn't expected to be a water treater. It was something my dad did. It was something that I learned from my father. And then when other things didn't work out, I came into water treatment. But your fourth generation, was it just expected that this is what you were going to do? Tell us that story. You know, yes and no. I never got to meet my great-grandfather that that started the company, but Bob started in 1951, Lee started in 1982, and I started in 1999. But for the longest time, I was always like, you know, I'd go into the office to visit my grandpa or my dad. I think, you know, it smells bad in here. I don't want to do this. (laughs) You know, water treatment was Bob's life. And I I remember, you know, spending summers with him. I even accompanied him and and his wife, my grandmother, down to Florida for a while. And I thought, you know, this is great. This is going to be like a vacation. You know, Bob says he's going to homeschool me for a couple months. This is going to be easy peasy. I didn't realize that homeschooling to Bob meant we were going to do a couple hours of schoolwork 
and then like 10 hours of water treatment <laughs> because that's what he wanted to talk about. You know, you asked me how I got involved in the business. Well, like I said, you know, I, I never planned on it. It was what, you know, I always saw my grandfather do, what I always saw, you know, my father do. Bob was in the business since 1951. I thought, you know, I'm going to do something different. Like I liked science and I think I got that from, from Bob and from Lee. And I thought, well, I'm going to be a chemistry teacher. So I went to school for uh, education and for chemistry. And then I decided after I had taught for a little bit that I didn't really like teaching. And then I got the call from my great uncle Jack, Bob's brother and his business partner. And he said, you know, have you ever thought about coming to Scranton? And I said, uh, well, I've thought about it. And then that just kind of one thing led to another. And, you know, in 1999, there I was. But it was it was nice because, you know, I had prepared for the business through all my, you know, growing up with Lee and, and growing up with Bob. I had the right education for the business. In our family, the way it works is that they pick one family member per generation that has run a company the same size or larger for five years and has an applicable at least four-year college degree. I just thought I would be doing something different. But when I came into the business, you know, we do that so that nobody is in the business just for a job. You know, mm -hmm. uh, my dad says nepotism is a good thing when it works. So <laughs> yeah. and we also don't want the company, you know, the company is there to serve our customers, provide a good job for our employees and make a, you know, profitability. The company is not there just to provide jobs for family members. And we've always been very cognizant of that. And I think that, you know, our honesty and one of our suppliers calls us the can do Cavanos kind of is, is the reason why, you know, Trace, you know how the, the odds are very low as you get through the second generation onto the third generation and then into the fourth generation. I think it's like, what, 2% or something? It's down there, yeah. That lasts that long. But I, I think, you know, knowing what we're good at, knowing who we are, and just kind of having the heart and being in it for the right reasons has led us to kind of be able to transition through the generations how we pick family members to transition through the generations has kind of led us to be a fourth generation company with plans. And, and I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later, but with plans for hopefully if my son feels that, you know, industrial water is for him, plans for the fifth generation. I think customers also appreciate continuity as well. Yeah, there definitely are not that many fourth generation companies out there and, and I love that you all have thought about, okay, not just anybody can steer this company. We have to have certain parameters. We've had a lot of people on the show to talk about that. And a lot of times people don't have those conversations and that's why companies fail. So I, I love that part of your story and why Scranton is so successful. So we're all going to take a page from your playbook. Thank you. Well, Jill, you told us what you like to do professionally or what you do professionally. What do you like to do personally? Well, my husband, Matt, and I, we actually live three blocks from Scranton, the Scranton building. So I guess that's a, a blessing and a curse. <laughs> do you walk to work? You know, I could, but we don't because we have too much stuff to carry every day. I'm kind of a pack rat with the things that I bring into work every day. I used to do a lot more things before we had our son. He turns five on Sunday. He's very excited about starting kindergarten in the summer. One of our big things that we like to do is swim. 
uh, one of my goals that when I was younger was I always wanted, like, I feel like I had arrived in life if I had a house with a pool. So three years ago, we put a, a pool in at our house. And, you know, most of the time in the summer when we're not here at Scranton, Matt, my husband works at Scranton. We work together. We'll be in the pool with Alex, just kind of floating around and relaxing. I crossed off one of my bucket list items last week, which I'm, I'm very excited about. One of the things I always wanted to have like as an ultimate bucket list is growing up, my mom had a 1962 Thunderbird and I used to drive it during college to my part-time job. And I always thought, you know, when, when I'm a, a real adult and, and have, you know, space to put it and, and some extra time, you know, I'm going to get the same thing that she had. Well, I actually it was one of my goals with the mastermind group that I'm in, which is the Rising Tide Mastermind. We started talking about this with a couple of my, you know, colleagues from the mastermind at the last live event. And I committed that I, if I found the right car, I was going to do it. So I, 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 that should be delivered in a couple weeks. So I, I checked that off my bucket list. So I guess you can add Jill in the pool and uh, driving around in my Thunderbird. I love that. I love that we get weekly reports on if the ducks are in the pool or not. <laughs> We're about to put the duck net out. Um, the in-between time, the time that the ice melts to the time that we're actually ready to open it to keep the ducks from, you know, kind of making a mess in it. And then as, as far as business advice, I definitely think your son is directly ready for taking over the business when it's his turn because he gave you the best advice for that car. What did he tell you? When I went to go look at it um, at the showroom, I FaceTimed him and my husband and I said, okay, guys, I, you know, I drove up there to look at it. And I said, what do you think? And Alex gets on the, the FaceTime and he says, mom, you want it or not? There you go. There you go. The future president of Scranton Associates. You mentioned your grandfather and you're right. He is, he is an OG of water treatment. Uh, I recently purchased a company called Wacon, and the gentleman's name is Rusty Hill, just a great guy. He saved everything. He has got so many archives in water treatment past, and it's all great information, stuff that we just don't have anymore. If you don't have archival data like that, I don't think it exists anymore. And my love of recent is to go through that material and just see all this stuff. And about every third document is something from your grandfather. Your grandfather gave so much to this industry. And I want to talk about him a little bit. But before I do, I actually want to tell you a story about your grandfather, because you and I are having this conversation today, partly because of your grandfather. On the very first year when I started my firm, I didn't know what to do. I, I knew water treatment because my father taught it to me, but I didn't know how to run a water treatment company. So I sought out advice, just like we do in the mastermind. And people said, well, Trace, if you're going to run a water treatment business, you have to join the Association of Water Technologies. And if you join the Association of Water Technologies, you have to go to the annual convention. Well, I didn't know any better, so I went to the annual convention. I knew nobody. I was a little nervous. Probably couldn't afford to go on my first year, but I, I figured out a way to do that. And we had to make a connecting flight. So I, I, we were on a real plane from Atlanta to Phoenix. And then from Phoenix to Palm Springs, 
Uh, I think when it grows up, it will be a real plane, but it was a small plane and um, it, it was uh, just one seat on each side. And, and I sat down right next to your grandfather and he said something like, young man, where are you heading? And uh, obviously we were all going to Palm Springs. So I told him, I go into this thing called the Association of Water Technology. He goes, that's where I'm going. And then the next 45 minutes, I had the most awesome conversation. He was so encouraging. He was telling me how I was in the best industry and all the things that I could do within this industry, people that he's seen become successful in this industry. And I had no idea who I was talking to. And then once we departed the plane and I then was participating in the convention, I could see that this guy that I was talking to on the plane was an extremely big deal in the AWT. And of course, later I learned all of the things that he's given the water treatment industry, but he was so kind to me on that plane. And I think he just, he created a, a, a mindset. He created a feeling for me that I could do this, that it was okay that I was nervous, but to, to stay the course, I can't thank him because he's not around here, but he was so encouraging. It allowed me to have a great first AWT convention. But I do remember thinking, I had this thought, and I had no idea what a podcast was back then, but I remember thinking, I wish I could record this conversation to share it with others. So out of that, I really think came the idea that eventually this podcast would come to be, and that was your grandfather. You know, it's 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 great to hear that. You know, I feel like, you know, I when I talk to people a lot, it seems like everybody has a story about Bob. And it's really nice to to get to hear that when Scranton Associates had their first booth at the AWT convention in Providence, I brought along with me a picture of Bob that he had taken one of his first years in the industry in one of our very first facilities and as well as his uh, Ray Balm award just to kind of, you know, so that he could be there in spirit. Yeah, it really is amazing all the things that he's done. And Nation, if you search some of the archives that are on the AWT website for some of the original analyst documents, you will see just about every issue has an article in it from Bob Cavano. So Joe, I'm curious, what was it like growing up in the water treatment industry? Do you have any stories for us? You know, I have a lot of stories. Like we were just talking about, it seems like everybody in the industry has a Bob story. But it was, it was unique growing up in it, you know, and, and I have a, a, a Bob story. I had to cull through them all to figure out which one I wanted to talk about today. But one of the nice things about growing up in the industry with him is that I feel like, although I started here in 1999, I really started long before that. You know, if there was one thing that Bob loved, it was water treatment. And if there's one thing that Bob loved even more than water treatment, it was talking to people about water treatment. And then, of course, the thing he loved the most was his family. And that's kind of where my story comes from. But boy, did Bob love to talk about water treatment. That was really his deal. So, you know, all through high school, even in junior high, I just remember him talking to me about things and, and learning things. And, you know, when I was too young to really start thinking about a career path, I remember to, you know, I'd be going out to lunch with Bob and and there'd be these, you know, giants of water treatment there. And I'd just be kind of like talking about high school or, or whatever it was. But so I actually had kind of a indoctrination into the business long before I even started in the business. 
you know, Bob loved water treatment. It was one of his, you know, passions. It was not only his job and his, you know, career, but it was also kind of his hobby. But I, I guess if I had to pick one story about my grandfather to share with everybody, it sounds at first like it's a sad story, but it's really not. Bob passed away right before his 88th birthday. He lived a really long and healthy life, and he worked up until six weeks before he passed away. He'd gone in for a procedure, and the procedure had gone okay, but when he came out of the procedure, because he was, you know, 87 at the time, he was going to have to do some rehab. So during the course of the rehab, they told him that he wouldn't be able to drive anymore, which would mean that, you know, his freedom, I guess, would be limited and he wouldn't be able to come into the office unless somebody came and picked him up. And I think at that point, his morale kind of wavered. So, you know, six weeks later, you know, he passed away. But during those six weeks, I would come and visit him every day. And I would, you know, at first I came in with the mindset, you know, grandpa's really going to want to hear what happened at the office today. He's really going to want to hear this or or I'm going to bring him, you know, the analyst that came in the mail today or all of these things. And for as important as the water treatment industry was to Bob and as much as that was his life, you know, one thing about Bob is that his family was always first. You know, he was a family guy above all else. You know, my dad is one of five and my grandmother passed away well, about two years before he did. My grandmother always used to say that for all of the reasons that she loved Bob, one of the reasons was is that she considered him to be the smartest person she'd ever met. And she used to tell me that. And I, and I thought that that was really, really nice. They used to travel a lot. They were members of the Cleveland Print Club. So they used to go on art tours all over Europe and such every year to go actually see all of these places and, and look at works of art in, in different places. They had so many things they liked to do, but, you know, I digress. Those six weeks that I was, you know, visiting Bob in the skilled nursing, you know, I, I came in there prepared to give him a full rundown of everything that happened and, you know, talk to him about that. And he told me, he said, I don't want to talk about that anymore. You know, the last six weeks that he was alive, we didn't talk about water treatment one time. And that's not taking anything away from water treatment, but it, it gave me my first example. And I really aspire to be like Bob. And I, I think we all do. Um, and I've got a long way to go to have that work-life balance. You know, water treatment was Bob's career. It was his life. It was also his passion. But his family and his free time and his time with my grandmother and his time with his kids and his grandkids and traveling, you know, those were always more important. So the last six weeks that I talked to Bob, we picked a different topic every day. One of the topics that we had, which was a funny story, is the time because, you know, Bob is just as good as you think he is. Bob was always straight as an arrow. And when he was dating my grandmother, he had a, a car that him and his brother, who was his best friend, bought together called the Blue Bomber that had a rumble seat. And it was uh, when tires were hard to get. So this car was a good deal because it had newer tires. And that was a big thing. So the, he always drove the Blue Bomber to come pick my grandmother up for dates. So her father, my great grandfather, it started the company, would always know when Bob was dropping my grandmother off because the car was so loud. Well, the Blue Bomber broke down one day, so Bob borrowed his father's car to drop my grandmother off for the date. 
So the story goes that my great grandfather was down real late at night, just so angry. You know, how could that Bob keep my daughter out so late? You know, this is so unlike him. And I, and I haven't heard the, the car, so I know that she's not home. Well, lo and behold, my grandmother comes down the next morning and, and her father is angry. Like, where were you? You know, how, how, how have you were out so late? It turns out that because Bob didn't have the noisy blue bomber, she'd been home for hours. Bob actually had her home early and she'd been <laughs> in her room sleeping the entire time. Wow. One of the things I asked Bob about is I said, out of your whole life, what was your favorite decade? And he said that hands down, which makes me feel a little bit better about getting older, um, hands down, he said his 50s were the best decade because he said that none of the kids, his kids, my aunts and uncles and father, you know, needed a babysitter or whatnot anymore. And he said that, you know, he'd gotten to a place in his career that you he had really strived and put the work in towards where he felt that he could spend more time doing projects and authoring papers and such. You know, he was able to go and travel with my grandmother without having to worry about who's going to watch the kids. He said, you know, his all of his decades were good. But he said during his 50s, he said if he had to pick like a golden time of his life, that would have been it. So I, I think that, you know, although he you know, obviously passed away at the end of these six weeks, you know, he passed away almost 88. And Bob was kind of an example to the water treatment industry. And I think to people in general, as kind of like a renaissance man of a life well lived. I mean, you know, will I miss Bob? We actually kept his office here at Scranton Associates as a technical library. Every paper and every topic and every patent and every anything you could ever want to know, um, every project he ever worked on, every consulting he ever did, every formula, every everything, those are all in a library here at Scranton Associates. And one of my projects when I first started here at Scranton was organizing and labeling every single thing in that room. So they have remained in that order because I did not want to do it again. And we still have, um, I guess, a very detailed technical library here at Scranton that Lee and I use even to this day. That is amazing. I, I love that stuff. In fact, I've got a business idea for you you're going to turn part of your business into a bed and breakfast and somebody like me can pay you money just to get up every morning and for the entire week, just read that data. I'm your first customer. You, you, yeah, you <laughs> will wheel a cot in there, Trace. You're welcome <laughs> to come visit anytime you like. I love it. Jill, you mentioned all the things that you do for the Association of Water Technologies. Obviously, you and I are very passionate about that association. What are you doing right now? So you said that you were chair of a committee. What is the committee? What does the committee do? And what do you do as the chair? I recently became the chair of the Business Resources Committee. One of the things that we do is we put on you know, business tracks, webinars. Some of the ones that we've had in the past recently will be we had one on attracting and retaining talent. We had one on the employee retention uh, tax credit, um, things for business owners and their key people to learn how to you know, navigate business situations, um, answer questions, tools to kind of help you run you know, your business more smoothly or just to give you ideas, um, things you know, where you're growing your technical knowledge, but with the business resources committee content to kind of grow your business knowledge as well. And something that you put on every year through that committee is the business owners meeting. Can you tell us about that? 
Yes, the business owners meeting is going to be the Tuesday, the week of AWT, the day before the convention officially starts this year in Vancouver. Um, And what we do is it's a day for business owners. It's just one day where we talk about all of the things that we feel are the most pressing topics for business owners. And the goal of the whole day is for the owners to feel that this was the most worthwhile way for them to spend their day. We want people to have a takeaway from that day of things that they're going to use and maybe go back to their businesses kind of reinvigorated with like a, a checklist or ideas or, or things that they want to implement or, or maybe change or research. So it's just getting people excited. And I think, you know, not only is it, you know, networking, but I think it's kind of almost the premise, you know, Trace, if you will, kind of like the mastermind group where a rising tide raises all boats. I think by the business owners coming together and kind of collaborating and it being a, you know, a group, almost like a a large group learning exercise. um, I think that it's, it's one of the most important things, you know, beyond coming to the convention and training and, and things of that nature that people can really take things away about running your business. Cause at the end of the day, you can be the best water treater in the world. But if your business isn't running smoothly and your profitability and your cash flow aren't where they need to be, you know, that goes hand in hand. Yeah. Every week you and I get the privilege of uh, being in the mastermind and learning from each other and supporting each other and trying new things out and getting people a head start on issues that maybe I experienced that you haven't or vice versa. So instead of starting from step one, we get to start from step five from the mistakes somebody else made. The business owners meeting for a lot of people is the first time they've ever experienced anything like that. So who should be attending the business owners meeting? All business owners. The business owners meeting, you know, is closed to non-owners just so it's kind of a safe space for people to really, you know, ask questions and, you know, speak their mind. But yes, it's AWT business owners. And I I feel, you know, of course, I'm partial for, you know, being the chair of the business resources committee, but all of my committee members do such a good job. And I'm so fortunate that I have a lot of AWT members, owners and non-owners alike, because the the business resources committee, we do webinars, we do, you know, all sorts of different things together. But I really feel that I'm lucky to be with such a great group of volunteers. And um, I think it's very, very worthwhile, both the committee and the business owners meeting for the owners. By default, as a water treatment company owner or somebody that serves the water treatment industry, we're all islands. And for some reason, by default, we don't work together. We make our jobs harder. It's a lot more fun when we can do it with other people, when we can learn with other people. So I highly advise if you own a water treatment business and you can attend this business owners meeting, I think it's a great sample of what you can expect when you start working with other people. And you're going to get a lot of ideas of things that you can do that you might not ever have thought about, maybe books that people are reading, all these resources that are available to you that make it so you don't have to be the only one that's figuring this stuff out on your own. I agree completely. Well, Jill, we've been all over the place and and there's so much. I need to have you back for probably 10 other episodes to cover everything. But I'm really curious. There's so many people out there that are in family businesses. There are people that uh, are possibly in a position today that are thinking that maybe they can one day run their company. 
So you said you studied to be a chemistry teacher. You didn't like that. Uh, you had this opportunity at Scranton Associates. I'm curious, what was your first day like there? My first day was very anticlimactic. I remember my dad telling me and me thinking that he was joking. He's like, yeah, it's going to be like five years before you're really ready to like be up and running on your own. And I was like, well, what is he talking about? And, you know, I mean, he was kind of tongue in cheek saying that. But, you know, there's a lot of training and a lot of things, you know, that you're able to do. But to be a business owner, you know, the $64,000 question is, when are you ready to lead? And, you know, it takes time in this industry, especially, you know, being a blender with all of the customers and the confidentiality and, and the nuances and the just the skills to, you know, helping people, you know, formulate and such, you know, that just really takes time. I mean, there's no easy way to be like, okay, you know, read this book or this whatever, and then, you know, you're ready to go off on your own. But I remember my first week there, one of my longtime suppliers came in and said, Jill, you're coming into the business at a very interesting time. It's going to be a global market from here on out more than ever. And I just remember him saying that and thinking, wow, he was right. <laughs> was there ever a time, Jill, where you said, yes, today's the day I am ready to take over this business? You know, it's funny you ask that. I remember thinking and, and talking to my great uncle, Bob's brother. And he says, you know, you're ready to lead, to lead when you care as much about Scranton Associates as you care about yourself. I mean, people always talk about work-life balance, and that's not what he meant in this instance. Like everything that leaves out the door here, I feel like it personally has my name on it. I feel like Scranton and I are like intermeshed sometimes too intermeshed, but I feel like we're, we're intermeshed where I feel like it's a representative of me and I'm representative of it. There is no, like, I take that off and put it like a book on the shelf. You know, you're ready to lead. He said, when you care as much about the company as you care about your own self and your own reputation, it is kind of become a part of me. I remember that day. And it was funny because, you know, my grandfather and his brother who owned the company, you know, they were such smart men and, and they had, you know, they were older and they had everything worked out for their personal, you know, stuff when, you know, the day should come that they should, you know, no longer be around. But funny enough, we found out they never had anything about what happened to Scranton. So when my grandfather passed away, Bob passed away in 2011, you know, his brother had said, Jill, you know, do you think that, you know, you're ready to run the company? And I said, uh, yeah, I think that I am. So in, in 2011, you know, obviously Lee was here and, and, you know, he was running things, but my, you know, great uncle felt that it was important to have that continuity. So he, you know, kind of had, you know, had me where we're going to, you know, kind of groom you to, for the future. So for two, from starting in 2011, I kind of became like the, the manager, I guess, if you will, of Scranton Associates, you know, along with Lee, we both had our, our different specialties that we did. And then my great uncle Jack passed away in 2014. And at that time, I had, again, wrongly assumed, as did Lee, that he had something in his will about what happened to Scranton. 
nothing. <laughs> no one had anything about what happened to Scranton. And I had thought that maybe I would own a portion of it later. I never thought that I would end up in 2016 owning all of it. At that time, there were many family members, since nothing was ever put in writing, that it dropped down to. Not many of them knew what we did, and most of them lived out of state, and only Lee and I had worked at the company. I think Lee had figured, being in his 70s at the time, that now was not the time to buy a water treatment uh, chemical blending company and reinvent the wheel. So I ended up at 38 years old in 2016, becoming the 100% owner of Scranton, you know, I hired an attorney and, and did a buyout. Uh, I was not given any portion of the company. I had to buy it out. But that's how it kind of became my role from, you know, being Bob's granddaughter, starting at the company, kind of coming into my own, you know, being, you know, a, in a managerial role there to all of a sudden owning 100% of the company. And, you know, Lee is still here with me, but I never thought that I would end up, you know, being the 100% owner and the president of the company. And that happened in 2016, because it was pretty much like, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. You can't have, you know, 18 people pulling it in, you know, a million directions, you know, wanting all to take dividends. You know, a company is not going to last that way. So I bought it to protect it, to protect the employees, protect my customers, uh, to have continuity. One thing that I learned from that is get it in writing and that you better have a good exit strategy. And we do. We have an exit plan. We actually have two exit plans. We have everything in writing. What happens if Alex wants to take it? What happens if Alex doesn't want to take it? Everything is kind of, you know, hashed out by this point because I never want to go back to 2014 and 15 and have to fight for something that had been in my family since 1919. My immediate thought was, you know what, this can't end with me. And it was determined that, you know, this was a good idea and we should keep it going. So I kind of, you know, signed on the dotted line, if you will, and uh, made sure that we did that, which kind of, I guess, leads me with a multi-generational company. How do you transition between generations, you know, and what do those differences look like? And, you know, the nice thing is, is that all of us, whether you're talking about my great grandfather, my grandfather, my father or myself, have our strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, I think that we just keep the name out there, keep the relevancy, keep the continuity, keep the core values of what makes us unique and has made us stay in business for this long. And, you know, Bob and, and myself and Lee, we all have different strengths and weaknesses, which is nice because we can build on those and kind of have them work together. You know, it hasn't been an easy road ending up, you know, having to, you know, purchase a company that I never thought, A, that I would have to purchase, or B, that I'd be the only owner of. But I guess the nice thing about that is that I can look back through over 100 years in history, and uh, one of my mastermind members and I were talking about, you know, you can see all the ups and downs. You know, you've got the highest highs and the lowest lows and everything in between, but the highs don't last forever, but the lows don't either. And I think that's one thing that I like about being a multi-generational company with such a long history is that I can look back through that. And it's kind of like, how do you learn how to move forward intelligently? Well, there's many ways, but one of those ways is looking back on your history. 
being the head of a fourth generation company, I'm sure there's a lot of things that the company did that was very successful, but then everybody sees a better way to do things. They, they might want to put their stamp on it for lack of better terms. That's got to be difficult for you to see, okay, we can do something a little bit better. I've got more knowledge today just with the access that I have rather than what they had, you know, 30 plus years ago. So how do you do something like that? How do you change something that's been done a certain way for so long? <laughs> With lots of in the middle of the mastermind and, and lots <laughs> of talking to people. But that's one thing where I didn't want, I mean, I can't say that I won't in the future. Like I didn't want a board of directors. And if I was going to buy the company and in essence, like I said, sign on the dotted line, I feel like I'm ready to lead because I feel like the decisions that I make are best for the company now and best for the company going forward. And I'm confident of that. I mean, we all don't get it right 100% of the time, but I feel like, you know, change is necessary. And a lot of the things that, for example, Bob and Lee did might have been wonderful and great for that time. But I think part of it is knowing when things need to change and grow and move with the times and being able to be reflective about yourself and your business and take constructive criticism and be able to take all of those tools and insights together and make the best decision, the most timely decision to continue to always, no matter what I do, it's always moving forward, always moving myself forward, always moving the company forward. So much wisdom in this conversation. And we've had several people come on this show we had Tom Hutchison come on and talked about this very thing. And that might be an episode that if people are in this, they, they might want to go back and listen to. But Jill, you lived it too. So many great things that you've shared with us. I want to shift gears just a little bit. And you guys have been in business for such a long time. I want to know what is one of the weirdest things a customer has asked you to do? You know, I thought about that and we get asked that all the time. However, it's not necessarily by customers. It's people that are just have found us on the internet or people that have found us. I don't even know where, you know, we get requests all the time for, can you make face cream? Can you make hair dye? Can you make all of these things? So I don't know if, if like, to me, those are pretty weird because in my mind, they don't know this, but in my mind, I'm picturing like, I really wouldn't want to put something on my face that had been mixed in the vessel next to like something with cyclohexamine. So <laughs> right, my mind right. goes to that. So we get asked to mix things all the time that really don't, they're not in our wheelhouse. Like, you know, you don't make industrial water treatment chemicals and face cream. N not twice anyway. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so I'm pretty used to it, but those are things that, that we, yeah, they're just not something that we do. Jill, is there a piece of advice that you can share with all the water treaters out there in the Scaling Up Nation since your company's been around for 100 years? You've been doing this most of your life. What's something that a lot of people have trouble with that you think you can help them out with? Well, I've thought about this, Trace, and, and I have, if I could give people advice, I would give them two things. The first thing that I would give them is definitely get involved. I sometimes think that when people hear like me, I say, or, or you say, or AWT board members or past presidents say, get involved, you know, it's like, okay, so you're going to volunteer your time and all of these things. And what do you get out of it? It's just like that to me 
is crazy. Like what you get out of it is so much more than you're giving. You know, people always talk about networking and building connections and getting education for yourself or for your business or for your career or whatever it is. I think one of the things that's changed me and my business the most is as I've gotten more involved, things have just kind of like a domino effect. You know, being in the young professionals group, which was kind of my springboard to getting involved in more AWT, you know, positions to ultimately now being the the business resources chair and joining the mastermind and, you know, um, you know, being involved in all of these things. I mean, the, the main thing that I've taken away is friends. You know, I've taken away, you know, friends, but also networking, knowledge, and also just getting the name out there. So definitely get involved. Whatever that means to you, you'll get back 10 times more than you have to put in, you know, of your time. I would say the next thing would be is that, you know, as a supplier, especially in times, you know, that are tough, such as right now, you know, it's so important to have a trusted network of of suppliers. You know, it's like I go the extra mile for people, you know, and I know that everybody that I talk to or everybody that's with me, you know, we do the best job that we can for them and they trust us and we trust me. I think it's having a trusted network, whether it's suppliers or whether it's advisors or counselors or just whoever it is. It's important to have, you know, a network of people that you know that if you have a question or you need something or you're not sure how to do something, that you have a network of people around you that will give you honest feedback and be there for you. Again, Jill, great advice making sure that we're not doing this job alone. We are helping other people. And by helping other people, we are getting the help that we need. And you also mentioned people are listening to us and they say, oh, Trace was a president of this association. Jill is a committee chair. That's not me. How would I ever get to that? Well, I just want to remind everybody that I was a 20-year-old person sitting nervous going to my first convention on an airplane and your grandfather poured into me. He was very kind to me. And because of that, that gave me a little bit of confidence and I met some people. And then people told me to get involved. I started getting involved. And then that's what led to me becoming president. So don't think that's where you have to start because neither of us started that way. But we have gotten so much out of the fact that we both came with full cups. We wanted to fill other people's cups And the friends that you mentioned, so many people, they continuously fill ours. Jill, now is one of my favorite times of the interview. We are going to go straight into the lightning round. So I I like you a lot. So we're going to triple all the point values. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Here we go. My first question, you now have the ability to go back to your very first day in the water treatment industry, what advice would you give yourself? <laughs> Get it in writing. <laughs> I think this story, you could apply that to many things. If I knew now what I know then, get it in writing. What are some of the books that Jill reads? Um, <laughs> mostly just the mastermind books. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm reading uh, Daryl Amy's Revenue Growth Engine. But beyond that, Trace, I think it's Raccoon on His Own and Spend It which are part of the Dolly Parton Imagination Library that we read to Alex every night before bed. When they make a movie about Jill, who do you want playing Jill? Oh, gosh. 
probably nobody. But um, I, I will say that throughout my life, people have told me that I resemble Drew Barrymore. I do not see that. But I guess if I had to pick, I would say her. See, I would say Uma Thurman because you have a costume where you dressed up as Poison Ivy and you were spot on. <laughs> Thank you. Last question. If you could talk with anybody throughout history, who would it be with and why? Well, I've already talked to, you know, I was lucky to talk to so many great water treaters, but one of my idols is Dr. Howard Gardner. He wrote the book on a uh, theory of multiple intelligences, and that's always fascinated me. And I've applied that to my business and personal life. Well, actually, he's still around. So if I could talk to him, I'd have to go to Harvard, but I would like that. Jill, this has been a fun interview. Thank you so much for coming on Scaling Up H2O. And I can't wait to see you at the AWT convention. Thank you, Trace. Scaling Up Nation, I'm hoping that I can find a picture of Jill dressed up as Poison Ivy. I know you will agree with me that if Hollywood saw her up against Uma Thurman, Uma Thurman may not have gotten that role in Batman. She was great in that costume. Jill, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I have enjoyed getting to know you so much throughout the years. We've got so much in common. Uh, my grandfather was my hero as well. I learned so much from my grandfather. And here's the thing. I didn't really know my grandfather. Of course, I knew my grandfather, but I didn't get to know him until probably 20 years before he passed away. And I was so fortunate that he decided to move closer to us. And that's where I started to learn who my grandfather was. And he was a veteran. He was a leader of men. He was a PhD chemist. He was somebody that could just give some great advice, and there's so much that I learned from him, and unfortunately, he's not around anymore. Uh, I had him for a, a long time. He was 98 when he passed away, and he was, he was just great. So I hope you have a relationship like that. If you do have a grandfather, grandmother, or somebody that you're not taking advantage of that relationship... Trust me, you are never going to get that time back. And it is just amazing getting to know all the things that people did in that generation, how they appreciated things that we take for granted today. There's just so much that you can learn. So that, that's my call to action for all of you. Get to know your grandparents. If you have the option to get to know them a little bit better, by all means, take advantage of that while you still can. Nation, something that people have asked me to do for a very long time, and of course you've heard a couple of ads about it, is how do I help people feel prepared to take their certified water technologist designation exam? Well, when I go to technical training, it does not fail. Somebody always comes up to me, and normally it's a dozen people, and they want me to work some of the questions on the mock CWT exam. And I love doing that, and I love giving people support and helping their confidence to let them know that they can take that exam and do very well on it. 
What I've done to make it easier for you to get help like that is I have worked each one of the questions of the mock exam, and I've explained on each one of those questions why a certain answer is better than another. I've also included a couple of resources which will allow you to understand some of the concepts that they're asking for a little bit better. So if this sounds like something you are interested in, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep, and you can sign up for that online class. You can do it at your own leisure. And it's my hope that that gives you the confidence to get your certification. I truly believe a rising tide raises all ships. That's why I named our mastermind group the Rising Tide mastermind. And I truly believe that if we are serious about being in this industry, we can increase our level of knowledge. We can increase what the standard, what the average is of everybody within the water treatment community if we commit to getting the certified water technologist designation. So I hope that course helps you get a little further towards that goal. When we were talking about goal setting earlier in the episode, I know many of you put down to get your CWT is your goal. I hope that this is giving you a little bit of a boost to get that accomplished. Nation, I love bringing this podcast to you and I will have a brand new episode for you next Friday. Until then, have a great week, folks. Nation, almost two years ago, I started the Rising Tide Mastermind. We have over four groups and a waiting list for a new group. Folks, it is wildly successful. And what I mean by that is that we are able to process issues together and get new ideas about how we solve the issues that we all face day to day in ways that we might not have come up with on our own. Folks, look into the Rising Tide Mastermind to see if it is right for you by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. If what you see looks interesting, schedule an appointment with me and we will see if the group is right for you and you are right for the group.